What's up? Blake. Come on down. Blake, uh, I think a lot of people here know you. Some of you don't. If you don't, this is Blake. Blake decided to get baptized this past week. So you guys give him a hand. And we're glad you're here, dude. You can have a seat. You knew I was going to do that, right? Yeah, now you know. We, uh, every time somebody makes a commitment to follow Jesus, we want to make a big deal out of that. Because the Bible says the angels in heaven are rejoicing when we make that decision. We also want to make sure that the church knows uh, that we've got a baby among us. Because spiritually, when you have a new birth, that baby is going to need help as they grow and develop. And as older brothers and sisters, as spiritual mothers and fathers, we look out for the babies among us just like we look out for the babies in our own families. We don't just throw them out in the cold and say, go fend for yourself. We take care of them and help raise them. And that's what, it's meant to, that's what we're meant to be like in the church spiritually. You can be a grown man or a grown woman and have a rebirth and be a spiritual baby. And everybody's got to learn, right? Everybody's got to learn to crawl before they can walk. Everybody's got to learn to walk before they can run. And that's just the natural progress of growth. So it's our job to stay humble and just to be committed to learning. But for those of us that are further down the road in the faith, it's our job and it's our commitment to make sure we're taking care of those that are behind us because that's our job, right? That's what a family does, right? Amen? And guys, I'm grateful for the family that we've got here. Last year, we spent the whole year studying the book of Acts. We looked at the book of Acts because at the crossings, we want to replicate what we see in the Bible. We look at the book of Acts because the book of Acts tells the story of the early church. And I don't know about you guys, but I want my church to look like that church. And I want what I believe and what I teach to look like what they believed and what they taught. If they didn't believe it and teach it, I don't want to believe it and teach it. If, if they thought something different, I want to align my thoughts with theirs. And I want to align my practices with theirs. And what we see in Acts is what, the, what they did. Like, here's what they did for the first several decades of the existence of the church. What they did is they got together in community, that they devoted themselves to these different things, that they adopted this mission of building the kingdom of God and persuading people to follow Jesus because they believed internally that the best life anybody could have is wrapped up in how close they are to God. And that same belief and that same teaching is what we want to emphasize here. And what we're going to talk about this year with our theme is remember, remember all these things that give us that internal motivation. In Acts, we looked at what the church did. In remember, we're going to look at what the church believed and what they thought about. And so we're going to tackle that today. Our theme verse is coming out of 2 Timothy so I'm just going to start today reading 2 Timothy 1, uh, excuse me, 2 Timothy 2, 1 through 13. And, uh, and then we're going to have a lesson today just out of this passage. We're going to throw this up on the screen for you. Uh, so if you guys want to follow along or if you want to open up, uh, open up a Bible, 2 Timothy 2, 1 through 13, it starts out like this. And this is Paul writing to Timothy. He says, you then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses and trust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others, join with me in suffering like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No one serving as a soldier gets entangled in civilian affairs, but rather tries to please his commanding officer. Similarly, anyone who competes as an athlete does not receive the victor's crown except by competing according to the rules. The hardworking farmer should be the first to receive a share of the crops. 
Reflect on what I'm saying, for the Lord will give you insight into all this. And here's our theme verse, verse 8, okay? This is where we took uh, the remember theme from this year. It says, remember Jesus Christ, raised from the dead, descended from David. This is my gospel, for which I am suffering, even to the point of being chained like a criminal. But God's word is not chained. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they too may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Here is a trustworthy saying, and then he's going to quote a song here. He says, if we died with him, we'll also live with him. If we disown him, he will disown us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot disown himself. And that's Paul's word to his apprentice, Timothy, to encourage him. Here's our theme verse again. You've got some notes in your bulletin. Uh, If you don't have a bulletin, somebody can bring one. One of our ushers could bring one to you. But it's got the notes in there that have all the scriptures we're looking at and some places for you to take notes. What we do here at the crossings is we have small groups uh, that meet and we take these notes that we write down on Sunday. We'll take them to our small group later. And instead of it being a large group like this, we'll sit with uh, about a dozen or so and, and talk about how to apply this stuff to our lives. So we want this to be really practical. But this, uh, in 2 Timothy 2.8, our theme again, remember Jesus Christ, remember Jesus Christ, raised from the dead, descended from David, this is my gospel. I want to give you guys this morning five ways that remembering Jesus helps your life. First of all, remembering Jesus, number one, helps me appreciate my salvation. Remembering Jesus helps me appreciate my salvation. It says in uh, verse 1 of chapter 2, you then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. I want you to underline that. Be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Grace, grace, guys, is unmerited favor. That's how you define grace whenever you see it in the Bible. That grace is a gift, which means you can't earn a gift. It's something that God gives you whether you deserve it or not. Have you ever struggled with feeling like you don't deserve God's love? You hear all this talk about how God is loving and God is kind and he's compassionate, but then you look at your life and say, but I've I've done really bad stuff. I've done really bad stuff. I'm not deserving of God's love. You want to know a truth? You don't deserve God's love. That's why you need grace. And that's why grace is such good news. Because what grace teaches is that God gives us his love when we don't deserve it. Whenever I think about grace, I think about what it says in Romans 5, where it talks about while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still powerless, Christ died for us. While we were still messed up and sinning, Christ died for us. I think about Jesus on the cross and, you know, how... He had his mockers and and his opponents that wanted to see him dead while he was on the cross being crucified, coming and mocking him. And what was Jesus doing for them on that cross? He was praying for their forgiveness. While they were mocking him, did they deserve it? No, but he prayed for their forgiveness. He still was willing to extend forgiveness. Guys, sometimes we don't understand how willing God is to forgive. And we feel like we've got to earn this love from God and we've got to be good enough. And when we aren't good enough, when we don't measure up, we fall into despair. 
But that's what grace is meant to free us from. It's from the shackles of despair. It's to unchain us from that guilt. It's to give us that rest that we can find in Jesus Christ. That's grace. That's grace. Being strong in it means that we feel forgiven. You know, you can be forgiven, guys, but until you feel forgiven... It doesn't have the transformative effect in your life. And guys, that's really the aim of grace in in our life. God doesn't just want you uh, to to go through life wondering about whether you're close to him or can be with him. He wants you to know that you're forgiven. And he wants you to feel forgiven, even when you've done bad. Why? Because until you feel forgiven, you're not going to be the person that God created you to be. If you continue to go through life feeling like you can't be forgiven or you're not forgiven, do you really have anything to look forward to? Do you really have the ability to inspire hope in anybody else when you don't really have it yourself? You can't, man. You're not being who... That's that's not how God designed us, though. He wants us to know His grace and His love so that we can live out of it and be transformed by it. This isn't on your notes, guys, but Romans 12 says, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, in view of God's grace, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Notice, he says, offer your bodies after you've thought about his grace. Meditate on what God has done. Meditate on how much he loves you. Meditate on how you're forgiven, even when you've blown it. When you run to God, He runs to you. Meditate on how good He is and then allow that truth about how much God loves you and how much God forgives you and how much God wants to be close to you. Live out of that truth. That's what gives you that internal motivation, guys. It is God's love. Remembering God's grace. In 1 Timothy, this is Paul's first letter to Timothy. He says this statement is completely reliable and should be universally accepted. Christ Jesus entered the world to what? To rescue sinners. Does it say to rescue people who have it all together? Man, that's great. This is what the Pharisees thought. God should only be for the people that are clean. This is part of why they got sideways with Jesus quite a bit. You see, when Jesus is interacting with the sinners and and they're, they're criticizing him because Jesus was loving on people that didn't really love God fully yet, but then Jesus would say things, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but what? But the sick. That means Jesus came for the messed up ones. Guys, if you're here this morning and you got it all together, you don't need Jesus. You don't need him. But if you know your lack, if you know your sin, if you know how jacked up you are, if you know you've lived rebelliously for I don't care how long, maybe most of your life, you need Jesus. And you're the person Jesus came for. Because it's not the healthy who need a doctor, guys. Who is it? It's the sick. Are you sick today? You want to be sick, okay? (laughs) On one level, you want to be sick. You don't want to be that sick so you don't turn to God, but you want to be sick enough to realize your need for Jesus because, guys, that's what drives you to be in relationship with him. Amen? It's important that we realize our condition. Jesus came here to rescue. He came here to save. Who are we disciples of? 
We're disciples of Jesus. That means we try to be like him, which means we adopt his values. Why do we talk about reaching out all the time and punching a hole in the dark world out there? Leading people to Jesus, persuading them to follow God. Why do we talk about this all the time here? Why do you hear it from the pulpit all the time? Guys, because every time I open the Bible, I encounter things like this that remind me Jesus came to save sinners. And if I'm his disciple, this needs to be my, my mission too. We don't just sit around and have potlucks and go home. Like, that's not what the church is for. The church is not a social club. The church is on a mission for Jesus Christ because we're his hands and his feet. Guys, you realize he came up with the idea of the church. You know, he didn't come and die on a cross and be raised and then, and then just like leave and they just sort of came up with, how do we, what do we do now? He gave them explicit instructions about what we're supposed to be doing. And all the stuff we're doing here at the crossings, guys, we are not a perfect church, but we really do try to just follow the Bible. We try, to, we try to adopt our philosophies and our structures and the systems we put in place and the values that we have. We try to get that from Scripture, guys, and I'm sure we're blowing it in some areas, okay? We're not perfect, but we're trying. That's where we try to get this stuff from. And, and central to that is this idea that we want to rescue people that are hurting. Why? Because that's what Jesus was all about, man. He didn't sit behind the walls of some building and never go outside. He was constantly out among the people. He was building relationships. He was making disciples. He was giving people hope that didn't have any hope. And it's so fulfilling to me to come here and, and see people giving their lives to the Lord and hearing testimonies from them about where they were before and where they are now with their relationship with God and giving him the credit for that, guys. That honors God. And we want to continue doing that. And it's this love Guys, the, the, this love that comes from a gratefulness of his grace that should drive us. In 2 Corinthians, <clears throat> for it is Christ's love that does what? If you aren't motivated to reach out to your friends, if I talk about that, or if you're, if you're a member here and we talk about this in our groups or whatever, and, and you just kind of cringe at the idea of reaching out, I want you to check your heart. And I want you to think about how much God loves you and whether you really believe it or not. Because I think it's difficult when you grasp how great his love is for you that you won't want to share that with somebody else. I really do. If you fail to realize how messed up you are or if you don't feel saved or you maybe... On the other side, you think you're a pretty good person, right? And you don't really need as much forgiveness as somebody. Guys, it's the ones that are the most lost, that are the most motivated after they come to Christ to go reach out to their friends. It's the ones that are most in touch with how far they were from Jesus, that when they come to Christ, a lot of times they're the most zealous and the most excited about reaching out. But when you think you got it all together... When you think you're basically a good person and, yeah, I'm going to go join this church and stuff so I don't go to hell, right? But you're not really in touch with your brokenness and all that stuff. Guys, reaching out stems from gratefulness. And if you're not willing to reach out, guys, just ask, am I grateful for what Jesus has given me? Am I really in touch with this brokenness that I have? 
Because that's what motivates us. It's this internal thing. That's what he's saying right here in 2 Corinthians 5. It's Christ's love that motivates us because we are absolutely convinced that he's given his life for all of us. We are absolutely convinced that he's given his life for all of us. That means for me and for my friends. When I became a Christian, man, I went and started studying the Bible with my friends. You know what most of them did? They cut me off. Because what we had done before was drugs. <laughs> that was what we did. We did cocaine. We did weed. We did whatever we get our hands on, Molly, you know, that was our life. Every day we were getting high. Every single day. It wasn't just a weekends thing. I was smoking a quarter of weed a day before I quit. That's a lot, if you don't know, okay? By myself. Um, but I would hang out with my friends. So whenever I made a change, guys, you want to talk about drastic. You want to talk about lying in the sand night and day. I was not the same dude. But what they thought was that I was going through a phase. When they realized this phase wasn't going away after a month or two, some of them were just like, you know what, I, I don't want to mess with you no more. But guys, guess what? There were others that said, I want what you got. And I was able to lead some of them to Christ. Some of them, not, most of them didn't want to hear. But I was able to lead some of them to Christ. And guys, that was driven because I felt so forgiven and I felt so loved by God. I was so grateful to God that it wasn't a big deal for me to go reach out to my friends, even if someone were going to cut me off and not have anything to do with me anymore. I still prayed for them. I still, I still think about them, you know, and there's still some. I, there was one I reached out to last year. He cut me off again. I'm going to try it again, though, guys, because I love that guy. I love that guy. Cut me off and then talk crap to me to our friends. I was just being nice to the dude, Okay. I ain't got to worry about him listening to this podcast, so it's okay. Um, we are absolutely convinced that he's given his life for all of us. That's me and that's everybody else. So that those who live should no longer live self-absorbed lives, but lives that are poured out for him. Are you pouring out your life for him, disciples of Jesus? Are you pouring out your life for him? The one who died for us and now lives again. Guys, this is an internal motivation that Paul is describing here. Internal motivation. Now, when I was a kid, if my mom told me when I was like 10, go brush your teeth. Now, those of you that are parents in here, especially of dirty little boys, right? You tell your boy to go brush his teeth. What do you have to do after you tell that boy to go brush his teeth? Hey, let me come smell your breath. Oh, that smells like roadkill, son. <laughs> and some of you girls do this too, so don't be, don't be, I ain't going to name names, but you know who you are. Uh, <laughs> go brush your teeth again. Why? Because the only reason that kid was brushing his teeth is because mama or daddy said so. He didn't really want to brush his teeth. He just wanted to get you off his back. So we'll go and. You were actually pretty good. Usually, it was Eden, really, that did this more than anything. Is Eden in here? Yeah, Eden did this more than the other kids. Um, you got to check and make sure because they're not really wanting to. So you got to teach them, no, you got to. Now, as the kids get older, they learn that there's good reasons to do this, so the motive changes. For instance, when that kid goes on their first date. Hey, go brush your teeth. First date, right? You do a breath check on the first date, 
Your eyes are going to burn out your head. They brush so much teeth in there, right? Like they really took care of that. Why? Because the motivation changed. It went from an external motivation to an internal motivation. Now, let me tell you why this matters in the church, guys. Here at 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 a church like the Crossings, we have high expectations and high accountability for our members. You have to join a small group to be a member here. And if you don't come to small group, we'll take you off our membership rolls. Uh, The reason we do that is because in our country, United States people think they don't need relationships with anybody. The, the, The average kind of way of thinking here is we can go home and pop in our earbuds and watch Netflix and not go outside and be fine. And it's just me and God and I don't need other people. When I look in the New Testament, that is not the New Testament. When I look in the New Testament, the way they related to one another, the way they were spending time together, the way they were family together, looks a lot different from the average church in the United States. Why? Because there's some cultural lies that we have bought into as Americans that we don't really need to be close to anybody. We don't really need relationships. And guys, every country has something culturally that they buy into that they don't even realize they're buying into. This is a big one in the United States. Now, if you go to Africa, and most countries in Africa, we would not have to, in churches, push. You need to be in relationship with one another. Why? Because they already know that. And you have to tell them to leave your house because they want to spend too much time at your house, right? But in the United States, it's sometimes weird for neighbors to even talk to each other. We don't build porches anymore. If you look at the way new houses are built, why? Because nobody wants to go sit on their porch where their neighbors might talk to them. Right? We, we do all this stuff on an individualistic level. Uh, and so we have to, as a church, if we're going to honor the teachings of the New Testament... We have to set ground rules sometimes as church leaders just to honor what the Bible's saying to do. That's why we do that here. Because being in a relationship is going to be good for you. Now, some people come and they say, that's just too much. That's way too much. That church expects way too much. I would say, can you look in the Bible and see what you're saying versus what we're saying? We sometimes have people that will join and go through the motions, though. They will go through the motions. Why? Because there is an external motivation. There is somebody that's going to say something to them, or there's something in our membership covenant, or there's something that is an external motivating factor. Whenever you are externally motivated, you will go through the motions. Just like the kid who will go and brush his teeth just to kind of get by, you will go through the motions, but is your heart really in it? However, when you are internally motivated, when you see the practice of these things not as pleasing a person, but pleasing God. Guys, what is the first commandment, most important commandment in the Bible? Love God with all your heart. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. First commandment of the Ten Commandments, there are no other gods before me. Whenever we study the Bible with folks, Seek God with all your heart. Guys, it's all the same thing. That is the foundation for everything. Sometimes people walk away from faith that have been in part of the church here for a while. I would like to suggest to you that they walked away from faith a long time before they walked away from the church. If the motive was, I love God, I love God and I want to be in relationship with God and I want to please God and I'm performing for an audience of one, 
Whenever somebody comes along and encourages you to do something that aligns with that, there is no problem, right? There is no problem following through. But sometimes, especially when you have a lot of young people, like you guys operate according to herds. You go around in herds. And sometimes somebody will value community and friendship and they'll join a church like ours and they'll go through the motions but they will never make the connection that this is really all about my relationship with the Lord. And what happens is those folks will eventually walk away. Eventually, that's what will happen. You have got to make sure that your relationship with God is the foundation for everything. Okay? Loving God is the foundation for everything. That is an internal motive. Um, Secondly... Remembering Jesus helps me accept my mission. Does anybody remember what the name Jesus means in the Bible? It means the Lord saves. It's, uh, it's the word Yeshua. Uh, this was uh, a name that was given to Jesus. The, the angel that came and spoke with Mary, I'll throw it up on the screen, Matthew 121. She will give birth to a son. You're to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Christ Jesus came in the world to rescue, right? This is even in his name. Even in his name, he will save people from their sins. He's concerned with people being saved. He is concerned with people being saved. And in order to foster uh, the accomplishment of this, Jesus came up with the idea of the church to serve as his hands and feet in the world. Excuse me. That's our job, is we're to serve as his hands and feet. In 2 Timothy 2, verse 2, it says, And the things you've heard me say in the presence of many witnesses entrust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. Entrust this to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. Um, Guys, we are going to start becoming very intentional about this, a lot more than we have been. Uh, in the past, as we move forward here at the crossings, we are planting churches. If you guys haven't heard, now our congregation over uh, in the inner belt, a lot of you guys don't know, but they just this past week announced they're going to plant a church in 2030. Did you guys know that? They are working to plant a church. Now they've been running about 250 over there on Sundays, and they're going to intentionally start building up leaders from within that group. And guys, they're baptizing people just like we are. Uh, and they're going to start reaching and just intentionally developing leaders out of folks for different roles on a church plan. Isn't that cool? Guess what we're going to do? Same thing. It's going to be fun. Uh, Some of you guys need to learn to preach because God called you to do that. Some of you guys need to learn to be campus ministers. Some of you guys need to learn to be youth leaders. Some of you need to learn to be cell leaders. All of you need to learn to be disciple makers. 100% of you, whether you think you're gifted or not, you are. God doesn't call you to do stuff that he hasn't given you the ability to do. And all of us were called to go and make disciples. That means we go and we persuade people out of our relationship with Jesus to follow Jesus. It's just that simple. And then we teach them to do it along the way. We baptize them and then we raise them. And then we send them wherever God is calling them, whether that's here or somewhere else. 
We want to help people be the people that God created them to be. And the best way to do that, guys, is in the context of the church. That's why Jesus, he died for the church. He died for it. And this was his plan, guys. Whenever the 12 that he spent those three years with heard him say, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, and surely I'm with you always to the end of the age. What, the way they would have heard that is, hey, go do for others what I've been doing for you for the last three years. Go build relationships and get in community and disciple those that are behind you and pass off all the stuff that I've taught you and filled you up with, pass it off, and then pray that the people coming behind you will be even better at it than you. And that's what they did. That's what they did. And whenever Jesus tells those boys, you know, they were lamenting that he was going to go to heaven someday because he was talking about his death one time. And, and, and he said, you know, when I, when I leave, it's going to be even better. You're going to see even greater things than what you've seen with my ministry. Why? Because that ministry was going to be multiplied over the globe where, where things were going to be done in the name of Jesus all over the whole globe, not in just the region of Jerusalem and surrounding areas. It was going to go far and wide, guys. Why? Because the disciples of Jesus were going to do this that we're talking about. We need to pass off this stuff to a reliable people who can teach. We've got a lot of work to do, church. This is going to be fun, right? It's going to be fun. Are you guys sure you're, you're you know it's going to be fun, right? Okay, okay, okay. Just making sure. 2 Corinthians 5, every person in the church is part of this mission. He says, all this is God's doing, for he has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ. And look at this. He has made us agents of the reconciliation. Did you know if you're a disciple of Jesus, you are an agent of reconciliation? Did you know that? God was in Christ personally reconciling the world to himself, not counting their sins against them, and he has commissioned us with the message of reconciliation. We are now Christ's ambassadors. Reconciliation means the reestablishment of an interrupted or broken relationship. The reestablishment of an interrupted or broken relationship. You are an agent of the reestablishment of the interrupted and broken relationship between your friend and God. That's what you are an agent of as a member of Christ's church. Guys, you are the hands and feet of Jesus serving as ambassadors of the message of reconciliation. That means you need to persuade your friends to get right with God and love him first. How do you do that? Well, you need to model it and you need to communicate it, right? An ambassador. An ambassador is someone who is concerned with representation, communication, and negotiation. Representation, communication, and negotiation. An ambassador from another country, when they come here, they're representing their country that they come from. They're, they're communicating the message and the values from their country, and they are negotiating with us, trying to make a deal when they come here, right? Same with us when we send ambassadors to another country. This word means, in terms of Jesus, we go in the name of Jesus, as agents of reconciliation, we go into the world. We go wherever we go into the world as an agent of Jesus, an agent of reconciliation. We represent him. How? 
Guys, does your example matter? Amen, it does. You got no credibility if you talk down about people or you're mean or you're involved in some kind of unrepentant sin and you just keep going through life and then you expect people to listen to you, it don't work that way. Your repentance is important. This don't mean you got to be perfect, guys. I'm not perfect. You guys have heard me get up here and say dumb things sometimes, right? You know I'm not perfect, especially you come over to my house and see how me and Ariel fight sometimes. Like, we ain't perfect. Ask my kids. They know what we're like. But they also know when we mess up, we try to make it right. You know, and I preached a lesson last week at a conference on envy. You want to know what I had to get up and tell them? That I struggle with envy. I do. Like, it's defined a bunch of my life, and I had to speak out of weakness. But the thing is, when God calls you, you don't, you don't have to be perfect, guys. You can persuade and represent Jesus even out of weakness as long as you admit you're weak. What happens sometimes, though, is people want to present themselves as they got it all together, especially new Christians sometimes. It's hilarious. You guys that just started following Jesus suddenly become like Superman, and you're unwilling to admit that you got problems. Please don't do that. What you're doing, by the way, as a new Christian, you're in a position to reach more people than anybody in here. Because you got more lost friends that still talk to you than any of us that have been walking with the Lord for a long time do. That's just kind of the way it works over time, right? So it's really important that you get in touch with your weakness so that your friends who know your weakness, you'll still have some credibility. If you go in and try to present like you are this lofty, I got it all together, I know everything now, nobody's going to listen to you because they're going to see right through you. It's important that we be humble. And guys, you can lead out of weakness as long as you admit it. you got to represent him faithfully. You also need to learn to communicate the gospel. What is the gospel? It's the good news about Jesus. It's the death, burial, and resurrection and ascension. Jesus is king in heaven, and he's going to come back someday, and he's going to make everything right down here. And in between now and then, my job is to follow him and honor him and try to make his values my values and bring his values to earth. Bring heaven to earth by following him and teaching others. Guys, we go through life like this. We point to him and say all life's answers, all life's problems, all life's everything, you can get it right by following Jesus. But guys, anytime we take our pointing away from him and start pointing at other stuff, that's when we get in trouble. But we've got to communicate it's all about him. First commandment, faithfulness. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That is the purpose of life, right? And we also need to negotiate with our friends. By that, I mean persuade them because people have questions. How can you believe in God? How can you believe God's good when the world's so messed up? How can you believe God's good when this happened to me as a kid? Like, we need to learn to come up with answers to some of these things. We need to wrestle with the tough questions. If something's really true, questions are not a big deal. If something's really true, it'll stand up to the hardest ones. Guys, if you have questions with your faith, you need to, you need to get answers to those, and I guarantee you there are. There are answers to all your questions, I promise. Right? You need to learn those so you can persuade. And you need to be a good example so that people will listen to you and allow you to persuade them. <coughs> grace, again, on this idea of grace being transformative, here how, here's what Paul says about this in 1 Corinthians 15. God's amazing grace has made me who I am. And his grace to me was not fruitless. In fact, I worked harder than the rest, yet not in my own strength, but God's for his empowering grace 
is poured out on me. Paul says his grace is what makes me what I am. Grace undoes some things, man. It undoes my sin. It undoes my lack. It undoes my inability and my lack of power. But it also does some really important things because grace gives me reconciliation. It's that restoration of relationship. When the Bible says we sin, we cut off relationship with God. That's why we need it restored. It it provides motivation, that internal motivation, right? Where I'm not the kid who got bothered by mom to go brush my teeth. I'm that kid that's going on the date that really, really wants to impress. Like, it's internal. It's coming. I want to please God. That's my motive. I don't want to just not get talked to. Like, that's, that's an external versus internal. One is good. One is bad. One goes through the motions. One strives for excellence. We want to strive for excellence. Amen? One provides empowerment. Grace does. Grace gives me the power to keep going, and grace gives me the energy to keep going. If I don't feel forgiven, guys, if, I, if I'm just struggling with whether I'm really right with God or not, I'm never going to be who I could, all I can be. I'm never going to be excellent in my faith or in my outreach to people. I'm never going to strive for it. Why? Because I think I'm a lost cause, and you don't polish a turd. If you've tried, you have failed. Right? Won't work. You are not that. It's important you realize grace is for you. You are a precious child of God if you've given your life to Jesus Christ. And if you haven't given your life to Jesus Christ, God invites you into his family to become his child. The door is open to everybody, but God loves you. God loves you like the very best parent loves their kid, only more. He loves you like that. He wants a relationship with you like that. And he wants you to live out of that relationship where you're not just going through life trying to get God to love you and trying to get people to love you. You're going through life because God loves you. Whether people ever do or not, it's because God loves you. And it gives you that security where you don't have to compare yourself. You don't have to struggle with, you know, bad thoughts of suicide or just world would be better off if I wasn't here. You don't struggle with that stuff when you're secure in God's love. And that's what God's grace will do for you. He wants you to have that in your life. Thirdly, remembering Jesus helps me approach my preparation. Remembering Jesus helps me approach my preparation. God's love and grace motivates me to remain faithful when life is hard. In uh, 3 through 7, Paul says, Join with me in suffering like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No one serving as a soldier gets entangled in civilian affairs, but rather tries to please his commanding officer. Similarly, anyone who competes as an athlete does not receive the victor's crown except by competing according to the rules. The hardworking farmer should be the first to receive a share of the crops. Reflect on what I'm saying, for the Lord will give you insight into all this. Okay, in this section, he uses three metaphors. He first talks about being a good soldier. You need to be like a good soldier. What is a good soldier like? How do they relate to their commander? They listen, right? A good soldier, but they don't just listen. They listen and they they strive for excellence in their service. Some of you guys in here were, were in the military. You, I know, saw people that didn't strive for excellence, right? What do we call them in the army? Pogues? 
That ain't a cuss word, is it? Okay, that's good. You never know with these military people, every other word, right? And they make new ones up. My, my nephew joined the Marines, and some of the songs they sang at drill were pretty hilarious, but I wouldn't play them in church, right? They cussed a lot, and they had CDs of it that they sold to the families, which we all thought was funny. But a good soldier, guys, they, they go to please their commander, right? And they don't just try to, to go through the motions. They are internally motivated to please their commander. They're striving for excellence, right? That's what a good soldier's like. What about a competitive athlete? That's the second metaphor he uses here is be like a competitive athlete in your faith. What does a competitive athlete do? Has anybody in here been on any championship teams before? Championship athletic teams? Come on now, you, okay, Elise, Cody, me, okay. I've been on a, a few um, in baseball. And I got to tell you, my, my high school team, we had, we had a bunch of guys go pro and play in the MLB. One of them was the highest paid athlete in the country for a minute. He was the highest paid in history for a minute. I didn't go pro because I broke my arm and got on drugs, but we ain't going to talk about that. But I was pretty good, right? But I'll tell you, um, the, the level of training on those championship teams, one of my teams was a, was a three-peat state champ Arkansas baseball team. We beat everybody. We were a 1A team, and we would beat the 5A state champs. We would beat the crap out of them, not just beat them a little bit. We'd beat them bad. But our training regiment was crazy. The, the stuff that we did whenever we would get out of practice, first of all, I had to get up three times a week at 6 a.m. and get to high school at 6 a.m. and go run three miles. Any of you guys do that? Then I still had to, after school, go to practice and run more. And I had to train and practice. And our practices were crazy. Every single minute was regimented. We had something going on, different drill stations. There was not a wasted moment whenever we hit the practice field. We had, we had everything down, all different stations. Everybody was doing something to enhance their skill at all times. We did not relax when we were practicing. We got in trouble if we did, right? It was serious. We won championship after championship. I got kicked out of that school. It was a Christian school, and I got on, like I said, I got on drugs. I got in trouble, and they kicked me out, and we moved to this little town in Searcy, Arkansas, which I went from a single-A school championship team to a 5A school last place team, okay? Much larger school, but you want to know what was different? The way we practiced. Man, we show up to practice at that big school, the last place team, it would have been better if I just stayed home because they were wasting their time. The coach was not skilled. He did not help the boys develop. He did not work with anybody individually. He was not passionate, Guys, so I got to see from a competitive level excellence and last place. One was internally motivated to excellence. The other was externally motivated because this is my job and I just have to do something with these kids. And what that happened, guys, is, is the players showed up and they were just, their hearts weren't in it either. We're just kind of going through the motions. Go lose another game. I don't, I don't even remember if I played all the way. I think I may have quit the team before the season was even on. I can't remember. But I know it was, it was a terrible experience. And I really missed being on a good team. And guys, we can be like that in our faith. 
You be like a competitive athlete where you're striving for excellence in your service to God. You know, this affects how I spend my time. This affects uh, all kinds of stuff. But we strive for excellence from an internally motivated place because we love God. Guys, what's the greatest command? Love God. Seek God. There are no other gods before me. Starts with that foundation. If you're internally motivated, you will strive for excellence from a good place. If you're just going through the motions because you're on the team and this is what you're supposed to do, and you know what, what can I really get away with it? There's a, such a big difference between striving for excellence and just kind of going through the motions. He says, be like a hardworking farmer. Because all that means is you get to enjoy the fruits of your labor. I'll tell you, one of the fulfilling things to me is sometimes when we go back and visit other places where we live, like when I went to San Francisco, I got to hang out with Nathaniel, who's the kid that I sort of discipled while we were there, and he ended up uh, taking over my position at the church that we were working with out there. One of the fulfilling things for me was to get to go to San Francisco and see the disciples that Nathaniel has led to Christ. And they don't know who I am. You know, they may have heard of him from me, but to get to interact with those folks at the rescue mission or downtown and to get to see him still years later going into the apartment buildings in that Section 8 housing and studying the Bible with people every Sunday, every single week, he still goes down there. How many people has that blessed? Guys, that is fulfilling to me. And I could tell you others too in Arkansas and other places where just people taking hold of this relationship with Jesus. One of the kids we led to Christ at a church we planted in Arkansas now leads one of, the, one of these large mission organizations. And it's just amazing to see what God is doing with this kid in other countries. But it started with that. But guys, that is me getting to enjoy the fruit of the labor. Whenever I see you guys take off and take hold of faith, when I get to see you guys like start to develop and grow, when I get to see marriages and families transform, guys, people in families, especially with kids, don't understand the protection that the commandments of Jesus give their household. They just don't get it. Sometimes they, they almost see it as ruining their fun. Man, if you would just as a mom and dad start doing what Jesus says, it will bless your family more than you can understand. If you really, really love your kids, like that's the best way to love your kids and bless your kids is to, is to be close to God and to have a family of people around who are also striving to be close to God. You have no idea the amount of protection that will give you and your kids. And people who don't understand that, man, when they walk away from that, I hate seeing people that we've reached out to now, you know, 15, 20 years down the line to see the hurt and to see the fallout and to see sometimes drug overdoses and all this stuff that happens, divorces, all this stuff that happens because people didn't start taking this relationship with God seriously. They were going through the motions or they never started at all. But to, to see them take off, guys, that, that's the fruit. That's the fulfilling. That's, that's a big part of just what makes me happy in life is seeing the people that we're working with really take hold of this. That is fulfilling. And guys, that's the same with Paul. That's the same with Timothy. That's the same. This is the stuff they celebrated. The stuff that Paul celebrated was the people coming to Christ. The stuff he lamented, man, if you want to read what made him sad in the New Testament, it's when people walked away from Christ. That's what made him sad. That was his motive. 
That was his motive. Fourthly, remembering Jesus helps me accomplish my mission. Remembering Jesus helps me accomplish my mission. This helped Paul stay motivated in 2 Timothy 2.8. This is my gospel for which I'm now suffering even to the point of being chained like a criminal. Guys, why he's... While he's writing Timothy, he's got chains on his hands. He's got chains on his hands. He's got two Roman soldiers attached to those chains, and he's not allowed to leave because he was in prison for much of the latter part of his life. He spent time in jail on house arrest because the Roman government had labeled him a troublemaker because he was going around telling people that Jesus rose from the dead and he was king of the world and you need to follow him. For the Romans who thought Caesar was Lord of Lords, and that's what they said, you know, Caesar is Lord. Whenever you came and said, Jesus is Lord, the Romans took that as a direct affront to Caesar and their government. And so they would, the Christians often would get in trouble. They would, this was part of what would uh, lead to them getting killed. In, In different parts of the country back then, you had to actually make a sacrifice to Caesar to prove your loyalty, and you had to repeat the phrase, Caesar is Lord. And the Christians refused to do it. And that's what led to the martyrs, a lot of the empire persecutions that took place. A lot of the reason they would take Christians and kill them in the arena, which, by the way, guys, what's going to happen to Paul? He's going to be killed in the arena at the end of his life because Jesus is Lord, not Caesar. This is my gospel for which I'm now suffering even to the point of being chained like a criminal. I'm chained like a criminal, but I'm going to keep right on going. But God's word is not chained. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect that they too may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. He says, I endure everything for the sake of who? It was for the sake of other people. He said, I'm not going to stop saying Jesus is Lord because who's on my mind? All these people out here that I'm setting the example for, that I'm communicating as, as, as an agent of reconciliation, as an ambassador, as I'm communicating and showing and modeling, I'm thinking about them. So I'm, gonna, I'm not gonna let them take these chains off. You know, what he, he, all he had to do to get those chains off was to say Caesar is Lord and Jesus is not. And I'll quit talking about Jesus. I'll quit telling people he rose from the dead and that he's king of the world and that he's coming back. I'll I'll quit all that. I'll just be quiet. I'll I'll, uh, I'll go find a retirement home on the beach somewhere and I will collect seashells for the remainder of my days on the beach and I'll kick up my feet and just relax. Some of you guys, that's your goal for your life. Paul would say that is not a good goal. Your goal for your life should be to lead as many people to Jesus Christ as possible. And if you aren't getting with it on that, your values need to change. That's what Paul would say. Guys, um, he spent a good portion of his latter years in a very uncomfortable situation when he could have really easily gotten out of it if he would have just changed his values. But he didn't change his values. His values continue to drive him. Guys, the gospel is the most important, most powerful thing that we can communicate to somebody else. That's Romans uh, 1.16. Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. 
because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. First to the Jew, then to the Gentile. I'm not ashamed of it because the power is in the gospel. I'm not ashamed to live it. I'm not ashamed to communicate it. I'm not ashamed to say Jesus is Lord because that is the power. That has the power to change lives. The Hebrew writer in Hebrews 12 encourages us to think about Jesus as a key motivation for our mission to share this powerful gospel. He says, we must focus on Jesus, Hebrews 12, 2, the source and goal of our faith. He saw the joy ahead of him, so he endured death on the cross and ignored the disgrace. Now he holds the honored position, the one next to God, the Father on the heavenly throne. Think about Jesus. Look at this now. Think about Jesus who endured opposition from sinners so that you don't become tired and give up. If you've ever felt tired and like you want to give up, this is why communion every week is so important. And we're going to take that in our small groups today, so we're not serving it here. But this is, guys, when we take communion, you need to understand the motive that Jesus had in giving us that command to take it Corey, you don't have to panic. <laughs> he thought we were doing communion for a minute. Um, the reason that's important is, is for precisely this reason. It's when we remember Jesus is Lord of Lord, King of Kings, but he made himself a human and came into the world and died when he could have nuked the world and protected himself. He let them kill him in front of his mother and prayed for their forgiveness while they were doing so, Right? And we know how the story goes. He didn't stay in the grave. He knew he wasn't going to stay in the grave. He knew death had no power over him. But the suffering that he went through was real. It was real. He really did die of crucifixion, which is, guys, you go study uh, torture historically, and I have. I tried to find the worst ways to die. I could describe some to you, and I'm not going to because we got kids in here. Um, the Assyrians were really bad, but guys, in terms of prolonged suffering, I haven't been able to find anything in all of my research that's worth, worse than crucifixion. Now, I've, I've found stuff that's grosser than that, way grosser, but it, it is relatively quick compared to crucifixion. Crucifixion was horrible. It's the worst way to kill a person humans have ever come up with. It was invented by the Persians, but perfected by the Romans in the time of Jesus. They had it down to a science. We're going to watch The Passion together uh, as part of Real Truth Cinema later this year. I don't have the date in front of me, but we're actually going to show that movie up here uh, that Mel Gibson put out, and, and then we're going to have our lesson on it that Sunday because we want to remember that suffering. Why? Because think about Jesus who endured opposition from sinners so you don't become tired and give up. Man, we die, he died on the cross for us. He was willing to give that much for us. When I get tired of, of trying to strive, man, this is what restores that internal motivation. When I get tired, I can default to external motivation and go through the motions and not live excellently. But when I remember how much God loves me, and how much he is for me, and how willing he is to sacrifice me, I cease to go through the motions because my 
My motivation goes from external to internal. It is a heart level response of gratefulness to God. That's what leads to excellence. That's what leads to uh, enduring hardship and persecution. And the more our churches grow, guys, if this, and I did the math, if we continue growing at our current pace, and the churches across the river that we're working with continue growing at their current pace, and if we continue planting churches at our current pace, guys, in about 20 to 30 years, this is going to get crazy. It's going to get crazy if this thing takes off. Uh, and we'll see what happens, you know. We're going to just strive to be faithful, but, you know, if God wants to do something crazy, I'm for it. I think it'd be fun. But with God doing something crazy... In a country like the United States, you guys better realize if this thing really gets nuts and we really start growing exponentially, uh, then we're going to take a lot of heat because with growth is going to come criticism, with growth is going to come picketing and protests because when you start sharing, no matter how you frame it, When you start sharing what God says about the world and how to live, the world is going to react poorly. Especially if you start making progress and you actually start making a difference in the culture, the world is going to react poorly. And there's going to be heat and there's going to be persecution. They didn't bother the Christians when they were some middling small group. In the the ancient times, they, they started bothering the Christians when the Christians started punching a hole in the darkness. That's when the persecutions started. That's when the, 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 the problems from the outside started. Guys, that's when things really got hard. It, it got hard to stay faithful. Because, uh, guys, remember external motivation? External motivation can be a bad thing. It can be persecution. It can be Satan attacking you, trying to motivate you to go the other way, right? Where that outweighs anything that that can keep you going if you're not connected to God. But guys, Paul here, of anybody, guys, he was disabled and deformed by the end of his life because of the beatings that he took. And he kept going all the way to his death because he never lost that internal drive for excellence that is based in that connection to Jesus Christ. Guys, if he had not had a solid connection personally to Jesus Christ, he would not have kept going. That is first of first importance, is that connection to him. We got to think about him. We got to lean into him. Think about Jesus who endured opposition from sinners so you don't become tired and give up. Paul thought about Jesus. He's the one that wrote this. He wrote this with chains on his hand, right? To Timothy, who is also going to have trouble later. And he says, don't let the suffering discourage you. Think about Jesus. Look at what Jesus did on the cross. He didn't give up. Think about him. And that's what what keeps you going. Last point, okay, number five. Remembering Jesus helps, number five, alert me to my condition. Remembering Jesus helps alert me to my condition. Condition. Guys, the sobering truth is there is no life outside of a relationship with Jesus. It says in verse 11, here is a trustworthy saying, if we died with him, 
we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we disown him, he will also disown us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he can't disown himself. Uh, If we died with him, notice the word if. What should you do when you see the word if in the Bible? You should circle that bad boy. Because what's going to come after if is going to have to do with your will. It's going to have to do with your ability to choose. Whenever you see the Bible say if, it's going to introduce a condition. If you do this, this. If you don't do this, this, right? If you died with him. What is that talking about? Yeah, it's baptism. Guys, whenever you decide to become a Christian, uh, what is taught, the very first Christians, right, in Acts 2, uh, whenever the people wanted to get right with the Lord, they would come and say, how do, how do we get right with the Lord? We want to get right with Jesus. What must I do to be saved is one of the questions that's asked in the book of Acts. And the response is repent and be baptized. Every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. He goes on to say this promise is for you and for your children And for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. This is a universal principle. Uh, Jesus said it this way when he was talking to Nicodemus. uh, He asked, you know, a similar question. Jesus said, you need to uh, be born of water and spirit. And Nicodemus was confused. Well, how can a man be born again when he's old? Does he have to go back in his mom? And He was kind of sarcastic, you know, and Jesus said, no, that's not how that works. What Jesus is talking about, what the apostles were talking about, is when you decide to give your life to Christ, what you're saying is, my old self is dead. So like for me, I was into drugs, I chased women, I did all this stuff. I didn't care about God, I didn't care about the Bible, I didn't care about learning. I just wanted to live my life and be comfortable, right? But when I decided to give my life to Jesus, suddenly I went from the driver's seat of my life to the passenger seat. And I let Jesus take over the driver's seat and I let him have control. And on a practical level, on a practical level, that means I want to think like he thinks. And I want to have the values that he had. And I want to learn who he is and who he was and what he did and what he taught because I want to be like him. Have you guys seen Austin Powers? The one, you, many me? You know Austin Powers and many me? That's a good picture of discipleship. Do, well, Dr. Evil and many me. Uh, I want to be Jesus's many me. Did you guys know the word Christian was originally an insult? It was invented by the Romans. Christian, the word, means little Christ. And for the first several years of the church, it was used by the Romans to insult Christians. you just a bunch of little Christs. And over time, it became common to refer to them that way. And the Christians said, you know what? They're right, though. We'll just take it. We'll just take the word. The first you know, couple of decades, they just called themselves disciples of Jesus. But then they started calling themselves Christians at this Uh, church in Antioch. We know that because we're told in the Bible about it, right? But we're not, a lot of people don't know that was originally an insult. You're a little Christ, but that's exactly what we're trying to be. We're trying to be Jesus's many me. We're trying to be like him, right? 
Uh, there's no life outside of him. The sobering truth is, uh, connection to Jesus is like a power strip in the wall. If you don't plug it in, can you get any power? No, right? you got to plug into the source of power. If you plant a, a tree outside, what happens if you rip it up out of the ground? Where it doesn't get no nutrients, it's going to die. right? It may stay alive for a little while, but it's, it's basically going to die if it's not connected to the source of life. That's who Jesus is for us. We've got to be connected to him. We've got to be close to him. We've got to understand our condition outside of him is not good. Our condition outside of him is not good. Jesus says, everyone who acknowledges me publicly here on earth, Matthew 10, I will also acknowledge before my Father in heaven, but everyone who denies me here on earth, I will also deny before my Father in heaven. Guys, that is your words and your actions. Are you confirming your relationship with Jesus by your words and actions, or are you denying relationship with Jesus by your words and actions? How do you spend your time when you're alone? Not just when people are looking, guys. How do you spend your time when you're alone? Are you honoring the Lord with your time that you spend? Or is there some hidden thing that you know isn't right, but you just have gotten comfortable with it and you don't want to get help with it because you kind of, you, you like what it gives you? That's the kind of stuff that this verse is referring to, guys. Because God sees all that, man. And we're going to have to stand before him someday and give an account of how we lived our lives, including what we do when we're alone. We need to have a transformation where that time and that energy honors him. We've got to be for real. And we'll end with this today in Matthew 7. Now, this is hard, okay? This is hard, but this is Jesus talking. And he says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Now that Lord, Lord, master, master, same word. Not everyone who says to me, I'm a Christian, will enter the kingdom of heaven. This is Jesus talking, guys. Not everyone who goes to church will enter the kingdom of heaven. But only the one who does what? who does the will of my Father who's in heaven. What is that talking about? That's talking about your obedience, man. Your personal obedience. Now, some of us, we don't even know what to obey because we've never bothered to look at what Jesus says. I want to invite you to study the Bible with somebody here. We love studying the Bible with folks. Like, one of the things we just love doing, if you you would like to talk with somebody about a relationship with God in a non-threatening way, just kind of like a friend talking to a friend, that's what a Bible study is, okay? When I say Bible study, sometimes people get a picture of a classroom in their head. What we do here is we will pair you with somebody that probably either the person that brought you to church or somebody that uh, is close to you in age that uh, has some stuff they can relate to you on that you can be friends with, right? And you sit across a table or you go out for coffee or you go over to somebody's house and you open the Bible and you look in God's word and say, what does this say? And what does this mean for me? And you just have some conversations through that. And so it's not like this formal classroom kind of setting, right? It's it's sitting across a table where you're getting to know some people and they're getting to know you. 
and you're talking about how, how a relationship with God will impact your life. And you can ask questions like, you know, sometimes people don't know if they can trust the Bible. They don't know a lot of stuff. It's safe to ask questions there. And, uh, and guys, most of our folks that are part of the church here, they didn't grow up going to church. And so, you know, they're not going to look down on you if you don't know the Bible stories and stuff, because some of them are still learning, too. And that's OK. Like, that's healthy. Everybody's got to learn. But I want to encourage you, if you've got questions about God, to, to look into that. Only the one who does the will of my Father in heaven, who is in heaven. You need to know what God says about his will. That's why those Bible studies are so important, right? Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Lord, did we not do all this church stuff? Like, by the way, these are folks going through the motions, right? You see how this external motivation versus internal motivation is important? If you're just going through the motions, you still go to church. If you're going through the motions, you still may pray. If you're going through the motions, you still may be around, guys. It may not be something that's readily apparent, but you know if you're going through the motions or not, or whether you're really internally motivated. Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, this is Jesus now, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. These are people that went to church, man. These are people that read their Bible. These are people that, but they were going through the motions. Guys, that, what's the first commandment again? The most important commandment? Love God. Man, if you love God, if you love God, guys, that is the first and most important thing you can do. If you miss that, you can become a person who goes through the motions and hears at the end of their life, away from me, I never knew you. Because the gospel and loving God is relational. It is not ritual. Guys, relationship, not rules. It starts with relationship with God. Guys, if I love God, there's going to be stuff that I stay away from and stuff I don't do because God says so and I love God. If I'm ritualistic, there's going to be stuff I say, stay away from and stuff that I don't do because I'm trying to please the people around me in the church. Because I don't want anybody talking to me. Because I don't want uh, anybody holding me accountable. I want, to, I want to do the minimum so that I don't get a talking to uh, or get confronted with anything, but I'm just going to coast. And I'm going to go through the motions. Guys, what God says to the, to the people in Isaiah that are going through the motions in their worship is that their, their, their worship is like noise to God because their hearts aren't in it. you got to have your heart in this, guys. First commandment, faithfulness. The most important commandment, love God. I will tell them plainly, I never knew, knew you away from me, you evildoers. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who builds his house on the rock. Down came the rain and up came the floods while the winds blew and roared against that house and it did not fall because its foundations were on the rock. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not follow them can be compared to the foolish man who built his house on the sand. 
Down came the rain, up came the floods, while the winds blew and battered the house till it collapsed with a great crash. Both of them had a house. Both of them had a house. One of them stood, one of them fell. One of them was internally motivated. One of them was externally motivated. Guys, I was reading a story a couple weeks ago in Japan. They built an airport, a $3 billion airport on sand. The Japanese are excellent engineers most of the time. They were not on this one, right? They were not on this one. They filled uh, metal pipes with sand instead of something else. And that $3 billion airport is now sinking, where by 2036, it's going to be underwater. $3 billion airport built on sand. That principle still applies. We don't build on sand. Guys, externally, external motivation, just going through the motions, is a house built on sand. When you get first commandment faithfulness right, you seek God with all your heart, which that word seek in the Hebrew can also be translated desire. You desire God with all your heart. That's really what you want. You don't just want God's stuff. You actually want, a, you want God. You want that relationship with him. And you'll be happy if you just have the relationship with him. If you never get anything else in life and you just have God in your life, that's loving God. You're going to be happy with that. That's loving God. That's the level of commitment you need to have toward God. But guys, anytime you get off that foundation of God's love and you put something else in there as the foundation of your faith, guys, that is the house built on sand. That's all that is. Anytime you settle with going through the motions and not really being obedient, but just going through the motions, guys, that is a house built on sand. You need to hear what God says and you need to do what God says just like Jesus says to do here, amen? He says, if you love me, you will obey my command, right? That's serious, that's serious. We need to do that. Guys, here at the Crossings, we really wanna help you do that. I told you earlier, we are not a perfect church because we are not a perfect church. You wanna know why? There's people here. If there weren't people here, we'd have a much better chance of becoming perfect. But as soon as one person joins, we mess all that up, right? So we're going to make mistakes. You know, there's stuff we're weak in here. There's stuff we're strong in here. If you come and join this church, you're going to probably find some stuff to complain about sometimes. That's okay. Any church is going to be like that, okay? What I can tell you about this church is this is a healthy church. And by healthy, I mean it, there, there are people here that are genuinely committed to loving God, and they're genuinely committed to loving people. And, and guys, that love is the cornerstone principle that we want to operate out of. We really do try to be a family here as best we can. We want to be close to one another relationally. We want to have the foundation of all that, that relationship with God. And we want to have high accountability and high standards because we believe God has called us to plant churches in, in, this, in this world. Because sending church plants out is how we reach the most people. And we think God loves people, amen? A lot of you guys in here were reached because we planted this church over here. We want to do this some more. And we want to keep going and we want to be healthy. We want to spread the good that we have to others. You've got a cardstock piece of paper in your bulletin. If you want to pull that out, we're going to close out today. <clears throat> but I want to encourage you to, to let the church help you. Uh, get involved in the family here. If you don't know about your relationship with God, 
Indicate on there that you'd like a Bible study, and we'll get somebody together with you that either the person that brought you or, like I said, somebody that we think you'll become friends with, because that's like the foundation for all this. We want to be a friend to people. We want to come alongside people. We want to put our arm around them. We want to open the scriptures and just say, hey, how do you do this? How do we do this together? Let's go together. Come on. And we've got small groups here, um, several meeting today. If you want to check, you know, if you want to check one out, you can ask, ask somebody here what's going on with that. Uh, but let us know, and by the way, that's for the adults in the room. Um, let us know how we can help you and get you plugged in. We would love to get you plugged in. You can indicate on the, on the card there that you'd like to know more about small groups. Uh, a lot of us uh, after church go out to lunch, different places, different groups of people. If you're visiting today, let somebody buy you lunch. I don't know who it might be because I don't know who has money and who doesn't. But if you've got money to buy somebody lunch, go, go offer to buy somebody lunch today. Take them out and uh, spend some time, man. We really get to know you. We don't want anybody to get overlooked or lost, man. And if you haven't been baptized into Christ, if you haven't made this commitment to make Jesus Christ your Lord, study the Bible with somebody and talk about that and take seriously the commitment that loving God and, and getting in relationship with him is going to take because you are not going to be able to stay the same if, if, if you start following Jesus, right? He's going he's to make a difference in your life. He will turn your life upside down in a very good way. And so I want to encourage you to look into that. Whatever you need to do, connect. By the way, uh, Super Bowl is February 11th, right? It's, it's what? Did I, did I say the right uh, date? Okay. Somebody out here is telling me another date. I had to pull out my calendar almost. It's the 11th. That's what I said. Okay. So we're going to have Super Bowl parties all over the place over here. So if you want to go to a Super Bowl party, um, we'll have them printed on the bulletin next week. But I know we got one in Collinsville. We got one in Troy, maybe more than one in Troy, another one somewhere else. So uh, just get plugged in, man. That's a great way to meet people. It's also, if you've got friends that love football that would benefit from getting to be friends with some people here at the church, that's a good thing to invite people to. Every year, we have people that become Christians because they came to our Super Bowl party and studied the Bible afterwards. It's pretty cool. So uh, I encourage you to go and just kind of get plugged in. Uh, we've got the marriage retreat coming up. You can get some information about that in your bulletin for the married couples in the room. We encourage you to check that out. And we've got some other cool stuff going later in the year that we'll talk more about uh, probably next week with you. So it's going to be an exciting 2024. We're really glad you're here. Uh, and I'm going to pray for us. And then uh, uh, the worship team is going to come down and, and sing a song, okay? Let me pray. God, I want to thank you for bringing us together today. I want to pray as we close out. Uh, that you will, um, God, just help us to respond faithfully to you the way that we need to. Um, help us, God, if we're thinking about studying the Bible, if we're thinking about, um, God, if we're thinking about really making some changes, help us adopt that internal motive to love you. Help us to understand your grace that is transformative in our lives. Help us to understand, God, when you love us so much, God, it's, it's just not too much to ask for us to give our lives to you even because of what you've done for us. Help us to connect with that. We love you, Lord, and it's in your name we pray. Amen.